You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. All right, so, this is more like Sunday school than an actual church service this morning. Um, And what I want to talk about and uh, use the whiteboard for is the various models of spiritual development that I think are common for people like us, meaning people who have or are undergoing deconstruction and reconstruction coming out of evangelicalism and more conservative traditions. So um, if you've read my book, how many of you have read my book? I'm just curious. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Can anybody tell me? <laughs> quiz time. Totally fine. Nobody knows. Um, what are the four models of spiritual development found or that the book is based on? They come from Morgan Scott Peck. Steve. Okay. That's all right. That's all right. This is going to be more, usually I wait to the end of my talk to engage you guys. Today, this is like Sunday school. So we're gonna we're gonna end it early, but this is gonna be more like a di- ongoing dialogue. So I want to invite questions. Stop me in the middle of something. It's totally cool. Um, comments along the way are fine. What? Oh, what did she say? Sorry about you. Ah, uh, it's okay. She it was answering the question. Didn't you? <laughs> Ellie, have you read the book, A Survival Guide for Heretics? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's starting at fundamentals. What's that? It's starting at fundamentals. No, well, that's that's stage two. Good job, right? There's a stage before that, and I'm going to share with you not just these are these are coming from Morgan Scott Peck, who is a renowned or he's now passed away uh, Christian psychiatrist, psychologist, um, who specialized in helping people exit out of toxic religion. He found throughout his uh, his time as a therapist and psychologist, he was constantly helping people um, recover. From traumatic religious experiences and he found that these four stages were very common amongst particularly american christians in the 70s and 80s and i think 90s when he was still working uh these were common for people in our culture um but i'm also going to share with you today richard Rohr has his own brian mclaren has his own and rob bell has his own so we're going to touch on all of them and they all kind of overlap which is kind of cool and my hope is that you know, we'll engage in a dialogue about this and that you'll see yourself in some of these models of spiritual development. Okay, so Deb named number two in Peck's model, which is fundamentalism. I think you missed That's number four. I'm going to abbreviate it. Yeah, number four. You guys are good, but you're jumping ahead. It's okay. It's okay. You're being prophetic. You asked for the four. <laughs> I asked for the four. You asked for the four. Oh, I asked for the four. Thank you. You're right. Quiz. This is how we would do it. You're right. I'm wrong. You're right. I love Stoicism. Stoicism? Yeah. I like. Well, no. That's close. Skepticism. Skepticism. Yeah. That's number three. Yeah. Skep. Notice I'm abbreviating. Chaos. Yes. Are you serious? Yes. Yes, that's awesome. Good job. All right. <clears throat> so there you go. And this is linear, right? So it's it's there's a progression here implied. Stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. Chaos, 
fundamentalism, skepticism, mysticism. All right, let's dive into each one of these. How is chaos defined? Who wants to take a shot at that? Without order? Without order? Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about the experience that people often, you, <laughs> Uh, experience as far as you know, the sense of that life is chaotic. What are we talking about at that stage of awareness or or experience? What are we talking about? Confusion. Confusion. Anxiety. Anxiety about what? Confusion about what? <laughs> about, yeah, about the future, about other people, about... I mean, I would think of that movement from chaos into fundamentalism as like, I'm confused about the world. I'm confused about what happens after I die. I'm confused yep. about other people in the world. I'm looking for a model to make sense of or make order of that confusion to explain things. Yes. Life feels out of control. Life is full of uncertainty. And that, someone mentioned anxiety, right? Anxiety is a very important feature of this stage. And by anxiety, I'm not spelling it right. Um, and by anxiety, we mean this kind of existential, you know, anxiety, this sense that I don't know what life is for. Life seems purposeless, you know, without meaning or there's emptiness. Um, you know, I've got, I, you know, I've got all these worries and concerns about my, my relationships, my finances to be particular, you know, people often experience this, this deep sense of chaos and anxiety, right, in life in general. Um, and some psychiatrists or Theorists, social theorists, we talk about something called the real. Have you heard me talk about the real before? Um, the pandemic, you could say, is an encounter with the real. The real is, is nature in the universe as it actually is. Random, chaotic. The universe does not care whether we live or die, yes? An mm -hmm. asteroid could strike the Earth tomorrow, as it has done in the past, and wipe out every living thing. And the universe would just go on without us. And I think, and the scary thing is, is like we all know that that's, that's what's happened before. And, you know, we're told that it will happen again. It is inevitable. And if for some reason, let's say on the off chance that it doesn't, the sun eventually is going to die. And it's going to incinerate many billions of years from now. You don't have to, like, worry about this right now. <laughs> but, but the point is, like, we all kind of, like, realize how fragile and finite life is and how precarious everything is, and how we are all exposed to the utter cruelty of nature, right? If you ever watch the Discovery Channel, right? Animals are yeah, living and dying all, all the time, you know, struggling for survival, and so were we as a species prior to the modern world, you know, when we have the ability to insulate ourselves because of technology, because of our social structures, and we were able to insulate ourselves to a great degree from the real. But the pandemic, in particular, Reminded us as a, as a global community just how exposed we are to the unforgiving and cruel forces of nature. And that made, that freaked a lot of people out, right? And in fact, it's a large reason why a lot of churches refused to stop meeting because they felt like, you know, um, they felt like they needed to reassure people that everything's okay and everything's under control and God's in charge, right? Because it felt like just even a pandemic reminds us that we are all exposed to the real, the chaotic forces of nature. Okay, so you understand that this stage um, is something a lot of people experience, in particular in their early 20s. They, they, you, 
they're in their teens, right? They, they suddenly realize, you know, the life of the world is full of trouble, right? And what can happen is um, everybody kind of, those people go looking for answers, right? And so fundamentalism, so I'm talking specifically about religious fundamentalism, conservatism, whatever you, whatever you want to define it, becomes a solution to the problems in stage one, right? How does fundamentalism function as a solution to the problems of chaos? I just kind of explained it a little bit, but I want to hear it from you. It gives you an answer to, you know, what to do about the anxiety yeah. and the chaos. Yeah. Put your trust here. Right. Because in control. There you go. Exactly. And even the things that don't have actual answers, we, in fundamentalism, meaning is associated with them at the very least. Yeah. At the, at even, even if I can't explain it, like everything happens for a reason. Yes. There you go. There's, we have to, we find meaning in things that are probably truly random. Yeah. But if we can say that there's a, a reason, a plan, and meaning to it, then we can accept it. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty right. pretty much summed up in God's will, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think I would also add um, that it provides a structure mm -hmm. when chaos is like, like unstructured. And I think that we can just through the tradition and the structure that fundamentalism provides for any religion, people can feel safer. Yes. And so that's kind of like if you're coming out of chaos and anxiety, like holding on to one structured thing or one tradition or one kind of holding things together of other people who are also coming out of that can be really powerful. And I think that's one of the reasons we impart so much meaning on things. Right. Or why they, where people can impart meaning, no questions. Right. Right. At least at that stage. Right. It also gets really great. Say that again? Fundamentalism gets really great. You ask for the good guys in the night, the white right and the yeah. 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 Any gradations that are confusing or, or totally chaotic. And you can choose your side. Yeah. There's no gray. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to write down some of the things I heard. No gray. Someone said, like, offer solutions. Yep. Give your answers. Answers, yeah. Structure, yeah, and that structure can have very little to do on the surface with like, you know, here's a definition of reality, but it can be like, you know, women are to keep silent in the church, women are subservient to men, or gay people are, you know, uh, you know, abominations before the Lord. All of those social structures can actually perform the function of offering a sense of certainty, a sense of mastery, a sense of us and them, you know, clearly defined tribal boundaries, which in turn, is actually a kind of catharsis, right? Again, it provides that sense of knowing, the sense of, oh, okay, I'm part of this greater structure that everybody fits into that provides you know, me as a, a bulwark against the chaos and anxiety of existence. Yeah. So it provides social hierarchies, right? Social hierarchies, which again, function in large part, you know, unconsciously as catharsis, as psychological relief against the chaos and anxiety of existence. It tells me how I'm supposed to respond to things. Yeah. I don't have to figure that out. Right. Someone's gay, I know what I'm supposed to say. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to deal with their humanity. I don't have to deal with the complications of the relationship. I just know what the answers are, mm -hmm. and they need to accept those. Yeah, yeah. Now, for a lot of people, they never leave stage two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because let's be honest, it functions like a drug. You think about, you know, why 
drugs and alcohol work as escapes from trauma and, and the coping mechanism, right? This is a coping mechanism, yes? Coping mechanism for this, for trauma, for anxiety, for chaos. Thing, you can think of stage two as being like working like drugs and alcohol, right? It functions as, as an escape from reality, uh, an escape from trauma, an unconscious coping mechanism, right? And, and allows people to avoid an honest confrontation with themselves and an honest confrontation with the world and life as it really is, because that's scary. Going to therapy is often a way of, you know, getting out of stage two. So now for the lucky few, I guess, <laughs> a lot of us, we all kind of went through these. And here's the thing, like I didn't start in, it, I personally didn't start in stage one, I feel like. I was born at stage two, like a lot of us, right? I was going to say the same thing. A lot of us feel that way, yeah. Yeah. But my parents, their story, the whole reason that they got into Pentecostalism, if you're familiar with, with Pentecostalism, mm -hmm. that tradition of Christianity that's about, you know, the supernatural speaking in tongues, divine healing, exorcisms, that particular branch of Christianity, what brought them into that was a distinct sense that their lives were utterly meaningless, that they, that they were exposed to all this chaos and uncertainty, and they went looking for answers. Anybody start at stage one finger and were drawn into religion or, or stage one? Would you call growing up with a stubborn atheist his own kind of fundamentalism? Ooh, that's interesting. Fundamentally, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. The cult of yeah. non-belief? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, Devin, I've never heard that before. So you grew up, or maybe you told me and I forgot because it was years ago. Um, tell, tell us more about that, if you, if you don't mind. My father grew up Catholic and then went very hard the other way. Okay. So my whole life, he was very anti-religion. Yeah. And how did that affect your approach to, to religion? I thought it was ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, he had the same stubborn answers. They were just on the other side. Okay. Okay. Can I kind of... Yes, does. So, um, I think a lot of people are born into fundamentalism, but I think that without um, people, without the idea of chaos being like also part of that fundamentalism, yeah. they don't talk to us about the chaos without this, yeah. then we don't actually belong to it. So like, I think fundamentalism functions and states of power because those of us who are like born into fundamentalism but we still experience the anxiety of chaos through the stories and the mm -hmm. parent stories and if you don't do this like all of those things so i think right. that to say yes you can be born into that but we're never actually skipping it's a good point it's hard baked into stage two they're yeah. they're entirely like like two sides of the same coin you can't have one without the other right that's a great point yeah so even if the chaos exists like in our head like because we're afraid like what if I don't think all these same things that my parents think? And like, am I going to go to hell? Do they will they love me if I think differently? That's our that could be the chaos of people who were born into yeah. a family that's reached stage. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody have something to say? I mean, I was always told that without God, without faith, without the church, <laughs> we are we are exposed to utter nihilism. That the, the alternative yeah. to being a Christian. The alternative to being a person of faith is just total total nihilism and meaninglessness. I mean, we, I mean, we were told that essentially. 
Um, we felt that, right? Um, yeah. And in a sense, you could say that the underlying psychological mechanism that made me, made us, so many of us, so passionate about our faith was this fear, this fear that without it, we're nothing, and that everything is nothing. Uh, um, yeah, it's interesting. Okay. So, some of the, a lot of people just stay here, right? They just kind of live live with the God addiction. And uh, but a lot of times, <laughs> what happens is, you know, after you spend a lot of time here, if you're an honest and thinking person, maybe a little courageous, a little brave, you begin to see the cracks, right? Mm -hmm. In the theology, in the social hierarchies, you begin to see the abuse. You begin to see all of the problems inherent to this stage, right? The bigotry, um, the ignorance, the naivete, the, the, epistemolo the, the epistemological failings, right? Um, and then you, and so you enter maybe into stage three, which is of course skepticism, which means that you're beginning to be skeptical. Um, anybody want to share kind of their experiences at stage three, what that meant for them? Maybe your students. You kind of never exit stage three once you get into it. Well, I don't, actually, that's not true. But, um, so this is the stage where people begin interrogating their beliefs and acknowledging their doubts. Once held orthodoxies are now open to debate, including biblical inerrancy, which is often the case, the things that get interrogated. Biblical inerrancy, right, this idea that the Bible's perfect. You begin to critique that. Creationism, right, this idea that the world was made 6,000 years ago. Uh, you know, you read Genesis very literally. Uh, you begin to critique other church doctrines as well. And so this stage is also marked by an increased respect for science, an increased respect for other religions and worldviews outside your own. And what can happen here is you can go multiple different directions with this. Some people enter into the stage and they get really scared, freaked out, and they revert back to fundamentalism. Some go on to mysticism, which we'll get here in a minute. And some exit entirely into the big A. <laughs> What's the big A? The scarlet letter, as it were. Oh. <laughs> and let's be honest, there's a lot to be shared. <laughs> this, this, and this, and this are, are overlapped to some degree. We'll get to that. But um, I'd also say that when I was in number three there, I'd put another arrow back up to number one. Say more about that. Well, just yeah. When I started questioning things, yeah. then that, then it, the num, you know, chaos. Right. Oh, anxiety. you experienced that sense yeah. of yeah, right. anxiety. And so that kind of led me down to the big A, and then and then back up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're saying something really important because the fact is, wow, this is very linear and nice cut and dry, right? The fact is, there's spaces in between That's each of right. these stages. And we often find ourselves bouncing between them, right? There's a lot of overlap. And quite frankly, our spiritual journeys don't really look like, you know, going going down like, you know, one, two, three, four. But it looks like this, <laughs> right? It's we're all over the place. It's like a continuum. It's a continuum. Yeah, that's a good way. To, <laughs> we're yeah. in different places throughout our lives. It's, it's, it's helpful sometimes to think in a linear fashion, right? To kind of clarify but let's be honest, we kind of bounce around, you know, quite often. Um, all right, so skepticism is pretty easy to understand, I feel like. 
if you like, so let's just, because we're running out of time, let's move on to stage four, mysticism. All right. And I have a definition written down here, and then I want to hear some of yours. Um, this is the stage where one retains skepticism, but starts perceiving the divine, the transcendent, or the sacred in all things. God and spirituality seem too grand to be confined to a particular religious tradition or theology. One learns to live in the tension of competing ideas. That's a big one. Tolerance and, and intellectual on, honesty are now seen as key components of one's faith. Mystery and unknowing are celebrated rather than feared or denied. Religious practice is seen as a means to an end uh, and, and a language of the soul <laughs> rather than an end unto itself. Empathy and justice are seen as the highest spiritual and moral ideas rather than your know, right belief. Confessional theologies and doctrines, meaning you know certain beliefs that you might hold, um, that those might still be held, but they're held on lightly as opposed to the strong grip found in fundamentalism. Uh, so while Peck's model is very linear, right, the fact is spiritual growth and development is not. We've already touched that. So that's basically what mysticism is. Um, how would you define it differently or maybe add on to what I just said if you want? mysticism and atheism related? Um, I feel like in, in a mystic or mystical view of God, you, you said something in your definition about um, the idea of God being bigger than what a particular belief system can right. So. Even the idea that God is a being of some sort yeah. is a form of mysticism in the idea that the ground of being, that whole idea, could be perceived as atheism because you don't believe in a God right. that you speak to that relates directly to you. Yeah. That could easily be defined either externally or to ourselves as atheism while you still believe there's some spiritual underpinnings to our existence yeah yeah i think you're hitting the nail on the head there yeah so what usually happens and this is what i found to be true in our community and my my study of our of our folks here over the years um is that and we did this at the beginning of book club actually with jen jen went around the room maybe we should do that here is just offer up your current understanding of god 
If, if, if you might be so bold. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like, whoa, I never, never really think about that. Um, I, think, I think we should do that, actually. I think that's a good idea. Um, well, hold on. Um, I'll just tell you what happened there. This is a huge room. It'll take, it'll take an hour. To no, 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 no. We don't want to do that. Um, but even though I really would like to hear. Um, but anyway, what happened in that room was everybody offered up definitions of God that did not reduce God down to a supreme being on high, like a, an anthropomorphized, you know, projection of ourselves, which is the way a lot of us were raised. You know, this idea that God is basically a being like us, even though he lives in an alternate realm, like mm -hmm. the spirit world, he's basically like a souped up version of us, right? We're lacking in knowledge, he's all knowing, we're lacking in power, he's all powerful, we're mortal, he's immortal, you know, uh, he's, he's basically like us, right? <laughs> he's just a, he's Superman, but he lives in another realm. That was sort of the idea that a lot of us were raised on, right? Because it's easy to understand that. Because again, it's a kind of projection ontologically, there's a word, meaning a projection of our own understanding of being and existence, mm -hmm. right? Our own concept of what it means to exist, our own concepts of what beinghood looks like. So it was easy to project God into that understanding. But in mysticism, what happens after all this breakdown is you lose, and this is a good thing I'm saying, you lose that ability to simply project and you realize the failings of that projection and how flimsy it is and how much it just functions as an escape from reality. And you begin to, it doesn't mean you become an atheist, a pure atheist, but you become an atheist of that particular God. Like you hear me talk a lot about how I no longer think of God as all powerful. I can't. Mm -hmm. Because of the pediatric oncology ward down the street at the hospital. Mm -hmm. There's an all powerful, all loving being. Why then pediatric oncology? Ring goes down the list, right, of all the horrific things. I know that some would say, well, and I used to think this, like, oh, there's good reasons for that, because God needs terrible things to happen so in order for us to have free will, and yada, yada. Okay, but none of that actually works, in my opinion. Uh, my point is, what happens in mysticism is you become an atheist about certain gods that, frankly, a lot of our friends and family and our former selves to live and fundamentalism is somewhat of an extreme word. So let's, let's add to that also just conservative religion, all right? The people who live here tend to think of God, right, in that supreme being mode. But you lose that in mysticism, in my opinion. And you begin to embrace this idea of the sacred and the divine as being, as, as Anne put it, sort of the ground of being. God is no longer a being so much. But the being of beings, there's, there's a words fail. Mysticism is about embracing how language both limits and or allows us to speak of profound things, but also limits and inhibits our ability to speak about things that are frankly ineffable. What does it mean to be here now? What does it mean to be? You know, I'm not even talking about God anymore, but I'm talking specifically just for a moment about what does it mean to be? We, we, don't, have, we don't have language for this. So, you know, being at this stage means thinking of God as being maybe the experience of love, the depth dimension to being here, the cure, the, the sense of awe and wonder that you get when you look up at a star-filled night sky, that some would say that's kind of the presence of the divine, the sacred, or just, just the experience of being conscious. Consciousness, I think, is I think the closest we can get to touching the divine and the sacred. 
this kind of ground of being, consciousness, this, this sense of subjective experience, the sense of self-awareness and, and all that comes along with that, that sense of astonishment and awe and curiosity, uh, this sense that life is meaningful, that love is meaningful. This is all tied into, I think, quite often, what is at the heart of our spirituality in stage four, or this, 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 this language of God that exists. Okay, I'm trying to articulate that in a way that makes sense. How does that strike you guys? What do you, what do you think about that? Um, do, you, do you feel that way about God? Do you think that way about God? I guess I want to hear what you think at this point about this stage, because I think this is, we're a church of stage four. Um, I think the difficulty that you're having articulating it is just illustrates the fact that it's impossible to articulate. Yeah. Um, so I am I am in this stage, but I'm a I'm a I'm an accountant by trade. I'm an accountant in the core of my being. I like logic. I like the numbers to add up at the bottom. Fundamentalism was awesome for me for a little while. Um, and so I have difficulty with the fact that I can't articulate it, particularly because I still have um, a good number of friends who are in fundamentalism. Even if it's not extreme, it's what I would still define as fundamentalism, yeah. where they have a defined set of their beliefs about God, mm -hmm. and they are solid in their beliefs. It's so hard for me to articulate to them where I am yeah. spiritually, because there's no correlation. Like, I, I can't yeah. say, well, now I believe this and this and this because of this passage and that passage, and the way I read it now. It makes sense to me this way. Yeah. Like it, 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 that's that's where I am personally in terms of of um, some. Not it's not creating conflict in our relationships, but that I do feel a certain amount of distance in the sense that they don't really know me anymore mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Like there's so many things that we don't relate to the same way. Um, yeah. And this stage is often less about, again, any kind of certainty, right? It's about sort of the radical embrace of uncertainty and unknowing about God and the afterlife. But I would say it's still, because it's about embracing uncertainty, it's about embracing this life and this world and reality, right? And making peace with the anxieties of life and being. And in that way, you find serenity, right? Think of that as like, this stage of being like that 12-step program move where mm -hmm. you admit that you're broken, that you're an addict, and it's in those waters of shared suffering with others, like in a room like this where we say, hi, my name's Aaron, and I'm addicted to God. And, and everyone says, welcome, Aaron, me too. And it's in that kind of shared space of, you know, um, of, of you know, shared suffering and acknowledgement that we find serenity, we find peace, we find beauty, we find healing, we find God, we find a new kind of understanding of God, the divine, yeah. here and now, not out there or somewhere beyond. The sacred, the divine, God, whatever you want to call it, is, is imminent 
here and now in our relationships as we love and care for each other, as we devote ourselves to each other and life on earth. This is kind of where I think the incarnation, this idea of God becoming human in the Christian story begins to make more sense. Christ is here, Christ is now. God is not a being somewhere out there. God is found here in each other, in the experience of life and love and all that makes life worth living. There is the divine, there is the sacred, there is the holy, there is the presence of the Lord. Jesus said, I was the hungry person you fed, I was the thirsty person you gave water to, I was the stranger you welcomed, etc. That was me. God is found here in each other. God is incarnate in this life, this world. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament tells us, yes? We are the body of Christ, yes? There's these ideas baked into New Testament Christianity. We are God. We, in this life, this world, is in fact the heart or the, the home of the holy. And that's sort of, you know, the stage for mysticism. Again, that's tied into sort of like this atheism. It's kind of like denying certain understandings of God that are traditional, right? And embracing one's unknowing and learning to find depth and beauty and a kind of divine and sacred presence in this here and now. And suspending the debate over theism and atheism. It's kind of beside the point. One begins to see those debates between atheists and theists, you know, online, as sort of missing the point entirely. Who could, who could say such a thing? You know? Anyway. Um, all right. Even though I frankly side with the atheists, <laughs> because what they're attacking is the god of fundamentalism, which I think is dangerous to believe in and really harmful. Steve, did you want to say yeah, something? Yeah. I think one of the dangers of all of these stages is there is fundamentalism in all of these stages. There can be. Can be yeah. Happen, right? So fundamentalism at stage two as fundamental Christianity or fundamental religion, there are, I meet people in my studies all the time who are fundamental mystics, you know, and they're like, they're, they hold on to their yeah. so tightly yeah. in their mysticism. Yeah. Or obviously, like, there are, there are atheists who are very fundamentalist atheists, yeah. there are atheists who are very open and, you know, like, so I think it's part of the, the challenge of moving through the stages is yeah. sort of holding on to, to, to be sort of maybe Rob Bell directed, uh, holding on to everything with sort of an openness and an open hand, not yeah. find, refinding your fundamentalism. Or to, as, as Pete says, to not sort of make an idol out of any of the other stages yeah. as you're moving out of your idol of Christianity. This can be an escape from yes. you know, reality and uncertainty and unknowing and, and just another way of, of um, coping with life's innate difficulties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Um, we have a few minutes left. Let me just um, bring up Bell. These other three views that are quite uh, overlapping with Peck's order, disorder, reorder. So Rob Bell puts this these these stages of development as order, disorder, and then reorder or reconstruction. I guess we can say here. And then Rohr puts it. Richard Rohr who's sort of the boomer Rob Bell. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I missed it. I'm sorry. Bell's, Bell's is this, this is, this is, sort of sorry, sorry, sorry. Who do that? Who just said that? I do. Oh, okay, so you, you know your my research. Good job. That's what Bell, 
is me, we, and then everybody, everything. So it's just outward movement. What's that? Everybody, everything. Yeah. So I like that because it's sort of like this outward flow of, you know, spiritual development begins with like, you know, it's all about me and I need comfort, I need answers, you know, to being about like, well, it's really about us, like us doing community together, us finding, you know, what's good and, and worthy to be acclaimed and, you know, together. And then it's like, you begin to see the connection between everybody and everything at the end, which again, is the kind of mystic, mystical view, right? This idea of oneness. Mysticism in a lot of different traditions, not just the Christian traditions, about oneness, not just with God or the divine with each other. And then McLaren's four stages, simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and then harmony. So simplicity, complexity, abbreviating, perplexity, which is sort of like skepticism, right? Perplexity, and then harmony or solidarity. We'll say solidarity. Again, that sense of oneness, right? Sense of connection to everything and everyone, which provides us, I think, with a rich sense of meaning, yes? We, we go to fundamentalism looking for meaning, but it's kind of this shallow, harmful sort of you know, area that provides meaning, but it ultimately comes packaged with all these other harmful things. Meaning can be found, right? A sense of depth and hope can be found in this stage four by, by all the ways that we talked about. Other, briefly, reactions to this? Anybody have any questions about that? Lots of different ways of thinking about spiritual development here. Which one do you like more than the others? I don't know. Just that meeting can meeting can be made. Meeting can be found. I think that might be a mistake per se. Please go on. I don't think there is meeting out there anywhere. I think you can make it. That's what I mean. Yeah, but you can't discover it. I mean, it's not like a thing Okay. Like, no matter where you are, it's all made up. Yeah, you can define what's meaningful to you. Absolutely. Your kids, your family, your friends, whatever. Yep. Your job, whatever you want. Yep. But there's no, like, meaning out Ultimate, there. Ultimate, right. Transcendent meaning that's given yeah, to there's, us. There's nothing to discover, like, yeah, like, the movement of the planets is not inherently meaningful. Or what have you. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. I like the Gospel of Matthew McConaughey. The Gospel of Matthew McConaughey? He said, just keep living. Yeah? You like that? Yeah, I like that, yeah. I like reminding myself that this is true, just for the human condition. It does not necessarily have to be Christianity. All of this is what every human goes through yes. in their life to to create meaning for themselves, right? So, like, this isn't about the Christian faith necessarily. So, like, kind of what was being said is like, yeah, you can be fundamentalist, mystic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're in love with 
forward or whatever, if that makes sense. Like, it's whatever you decide that's going to be your ticket out of chaos. Mm. Yeah. So, I like to remind myself. And it is pretty, is it, it's a pretty Western modern model though, right? When you think about it, I'm thinking about indigenous religions, what we know about indigenous religions prior to colonialism, um, even after colonialism, what we came to understand about them and, and other forms of shamanism and paganism from around the world. You know, when, when you study those, and it's not even fair to call them religions necessarily, because that's even like a Western mindset. It's, those are like ways of life or worldviews. I, I don't know if it's fair to say that they, it, perhaps it is to say that their response is to this sense of, you know, the need to create order out of this world, to, you know, their, their myths, their stories, just like in the Bible, you know, our ways of constructing meaning out of the utter nothingness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's beautiful, right? That's beautiful. Um, but I don't know if it's fair to say <clears throat> that this really is true outside of a Western modern culture experience, right? I don't know. Um, to say that humans try to leave chaos yes. in some way, or try to make sense out of chaos. That's true. Absolutely. And even if it doesn't follow like, this more linear kind of thing, I think at least this is trying to make order out of the chaos that yes. we are experiencing. And we're like, how did we make it out of chaos? That's a really good point. And actually, I'm doing, I'm going to do a talk in a few weeks about the indigenous religion of the Tongva, Gabrielinos, who were we have a land acknowledgement statement to make as a church that you know we're going to acknowledge that we're on unceded Tongva land here, right? As a way of, you know, um, further further participating in our social justice ethic here. But one of the things I'm going to talk about is how even the Tongva, their their myth myth is that prior to, you know, this world everything was chaos, and this and that the gods, you know, created this world out of chaos. And if you read you read Genesis 1, right? It says in the beginning, right? Uh, that darkness covered the face of the deep, which is symbolic of chaos and disorder. And God said, let there be light. Right? So even throughout a lot of indigenous religions and even within our own Judeo-Christian tradition, there is this idea that our religions are responses to the innate chaos that we all sense as being part of reality and fundamental to reality. So that's that's a great thing. Thank you for reminding me of that, Desiree. All right. Any more thoughts before we conclude? Yeah, Steve. I'll just say, for me, I'm, I resonate really strongly with Roar's model. Okay. Um, I think that I, I resonate with the fact that it's not a continuum, that there isn't an end point or an end goal, but it's an ongoing process that we find ourselves in. Yeah. That seems to me to line up with that, that lines up with history, that's just Campbell's hero journey, that's yeah. the Bible, that's like everywhere I look, it sort of is just like everything's going through this cycle of like things are in order, chaos happens, we reorder it, we, we move forward a little bit more, and then we continue, and then disorder happens again, and then we reorder, and that sort of feels like how life goes, and, and the, the constant process of remaking the meaning as we kind of progress and move. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I've always struggled with uh, like the Peck and McLaren kind of view is this idea of like there is a sense of enlightenment or something that you can ultimately reach in which you have arrived. Yeah. In which you are the enlightened one. You are the, the myth, you know the mystic. Yeah. The sort of the there there's kind of always a, yeah. an idol you can hold up at totally at yeah. the end point as opposed to the constant remaking and renewing and yeah. to just move forward. Yeah. 
Although in McLaren's book, at the at, when he gets to the end, he does say, and then you go through the cycles oh, okay. again. Yeah. That that even from the perspective of mysticism, then even within that, you go through these cycles and you're you're constantly repeat not repeating as in going back, but repeating the philosophical cycle um, along the way. Yeah. Mysticism in this model is an innately difficult space to stay in. Like, we're, our minds are meaning making machines. We're right. looking for certainty to some degree. So, I think it's pretty regular and normal to fall back and forth from mysticism into skepticism and back and forth. And other places fall there too. But I yeah. like that, that revisiting our journeys aren't linear. We do move back and forth, even if not in our entire worldview in certain spaces or things that we haven't confronted ourselves yeah. yet. Yeah. Well, in, in the coming weeks, one of the things I'm going to be talking about upstairs is um, touching upon what Jason said. How do we make meaning now? How do we find meaning now? How do we collectively and then individually find meaning? Um, what are the stories? What are the stories? Shared stories and individual stories that can help us find meaning in, in this world and, and find a kind of, again, this sense of oneness, this sense of deep connection to something bigger than ourselves. Because I think that is that is kind of at the heart of who we are now, and it's beautiful, and we're gonna find it in different ways. I'm not, not gonna be like the guy telling you, you know, here's where you're gonna find it, here's the story that works for everybody, you know. But I think there's, I'm, we're doing a lot of reading on that subject, and frankly, Christina Cleveland's book, God is a Black Woman, is going to be integral to my talks about that because I think she's doing something quite profound that we're not really talking about. Well, we are, but we need to talk more about it. Okay, good stuff. Let's conclude. It's hot. Um, let's close with a, a word of centering prayer as we leave. Loving God, whose name we do not know, creator, divine, sacred, the source, Fill us with love for each other. Fill us with hope for the future. Fill us with a sense of commitment to this life, this world, and the loving embrace of those in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my friends. Thanks for being here. Finish, I guess, the muffins. Um, but yeah, see you next week.